This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. They had hired me when this magazine was in a, in a crisis, and Billy was out of the country. So I thought it was so interesting that Billy, he asked questions. me some tough questions. In fact, he said, you know, some people say that you're just really in this for the money. And I said, well, you know, it's a nonprofit, and I long ago, you know, committed myself. I wanted to be in nonprofits, uh, but it was, I think, his way of just kind of testing to see, you know, uh, where's this guy coming from? And uh, um, so, yeah, we've had a very strong and positive relationship, and we were able to do some very uh, good things with CT. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Calling. I'm Richard Clark, your host and an editor at Christianity Today. We have a special episode for you today in light of the recent passing of Billy Graham. As you may know, he played a big role here at CT, founding the organization. I uh, was really impacted by his death. I was impacted by Billy Graham's life in ways that uh, I'm not sure I could really articulate all of the ways he impacted my life, but... Um, one of the things I wanted to do um, was talk to Harold Myra about Billy Graham and sort of the role he played here at at Christianity Today, sort of his own interactions. He actually had a lot of um, personal interactions with Billy Graham in his time as uh, president. So Harold Myra was the president of Christianity Today from 1975 to 2007. He also wrote a book called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham, along with Marshall Shelley, which goes into great detail about an aspect of Billy Graham that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. Billy Graham's known for being an evangelist, a preacher, a media personality, even an advisor to presidents. But I don't think a lot of people are aware of how influential he's been as an entrepreneur. And Christianity Today is one of the sort of key examples of Billy Graham's work as an instigator and arranger of people and resources. Most of what CT would become flowed from his singular vision, and its evolution would be carefully and lightly stewarded by Graham himself over time, even as he sort of slowly backed away. His humility, coupled with a decisive vision for the evangelical movement, made Christianity Today the publication it is today, and it helped to popularize a movement that would change the course of Christianity in the world. Ultimately, as I learned from Harold Myra, and you'll hear today, Graham embraced his role as a bridge between academics and the popular audience, between denominations, even between vast resources and those who might best put them to use. I talked with uh, Harold Myra about his relationship with Billy Graham and in particular what it was like to watch him work from the inside of one of his own institutions. It turns out that while Graham was most known for his passionate and effective preaching, a lot of his influence flows from his determined and focused leadership quality that Graham himself was careful not to go on about too much. And that's, I think, really what's unique about Billy Graham. He's, to me, he's kind of a 
paradox. He's a person who had so much power, so much influence, but just didn't seek to sort of use it in obvious ways. But then you see you see it being used. You see it happening. You see it affecting the world in sort of undeniable ways. I think we're going to learn a lot about Billy Graham as we read more about him over the next few days and weeks. And uh, a great place to do that is Christianity Today. We have a special issue that is going to be coming out in our April issue. will be sent to our people. I think the next issue sent to people will be the Billy Graham special issue. That is something you can get if you go to orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling. You can subscribe now and get that issue. I think you have a few weeks to do that. It is full of amazing stuff. Go to our website, look at what's there. I think you'll want to own that issue. You'll want to have that at your house as a collector's item is worth having. And as an added bonus, by subscribing to CT Magazine, you'll be supporting Billy Graham's vision of thoughtful, essential journalism and helping us to continue to produce the episodes of The Calling every week. Here's my int- uh, my interview with Harold Myra. Very grateful for him taking the time out to talk to me about this. Here it is. So when I was, re- I was reading about Billy Graham and, and of one of the things that I noticed was people kept po- calling him Billy. It just feels like with people of that stature, mm-hmm. you would call them Mr. Graham. It feels like either he's like the type that says, call me Billy, or he's the type you don't need his last name, at least in mm-hmm. our circles, because he's like a... He's like a uh, <laughs> the only example I can think of is Beyonce or something. like. He's like a Beyonce type where yeah. you really don't need their last name in order to know who we're talking about. Is that which one of those is more true? Well, I think that he would insist on being called Billy. He always wanted to be the humble guy. In fact, I just read happened to read this morning that at the um, groundbreaking for the BGEA building uh, years ago, um, he quoted John the Baptist. Uh, you know, he must increase, I must decrease, and and he said, "I cringe when I hear my name associated with." Uh, the work that the Lord has done. Yeah. I mean, there was a humility about this man. Uh, but, you know, in the book that you're holding, um, I do mention that it struck me really strange when Sherwood Wirt, who was the editor of his magazine, a PhD, a sophisticated guy, would always refer to him, and it's the only person I know who did this, uh, would refer to him as the boss. Huh. And yeah. the, the thing is, here's Billy who was both the evangelist, the loving pastor, the humble leader, very humble, and yet a CEO, a person who really knew how to select people, train people, develop people, inspire people, and to have big dreams of his own and see them accomplished. What was he the CEO of? The BGEA, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, which uh, was very, very... uh, uh, well-managed um, and had a tremendous impact. I mean, the Lausanne conferences, all of these things came out of the uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Can you count for us the first time that you met Billy Graham? Well, the very first time I saw him was 1957 at the New York Crusade. I remember, you know, being there and participating. And, uh, you know, back then, Billy Graham, there was an awe about him and, and a 
that continued. But I remember we happened to be outside and we saw Billy uh, leaving the stadium and darting into a cab. And we mm-hmm. thought, well, that's really cool. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, but then years later, when I was appointed uh, the CEO of Christianity Today, uh-huh. uh, the first time I, I met him, he called me uh, to meet with him in Phoenix. He happened to be in Phoenix. Okay. Uh, and I think he wanted to figure out, well, who is this guy? Right that just became, you know, CEO of, of Christianity yeah. Today because Harold Ockengay, his long-term time friend, was chairman at that time uh-huh. of Christianity Today. And they had hired me uh, when this magazine was in a, in a crisis and Billy was out of the country. Mm. So I thought it was so interesting that Billy really asked me some tough questions. You know, some people say that you're just really in this for the money. Huh. And I said, well, you know, it's a nonprofit, and I long ago, you know, committed myself. I wanted to be in nonprofits, uh, but it was, I think, his way of just kind of testing to see, you know, uh, where's this guy coming from? Yeah. And uh, um, so, yeah, we've had a very strong and positive relationship, and we were able to do some very uh, good things with CT. And but Billy was always supportive. Uh, Billy always gave wise advice. So, what what was the what was the sort of the advice he gave you from the beginning when you started there? I think uh, he wasn't giving me a lot of um, broad advice, but when specific things would come up, he would always have a response. At first, he wasn't as involved as he was later, but he would always be there at the board meetings. He would always uh, be reporting on the general direction of evangelicalism. And mm-hmm. what struck me, too, was his involvement with so many other evangelical organizations. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it was Fuller or Gordon Conwell, he's very involved with Gordon Conwell Seminary yeah. um, and with many of the other colleges and uh, uh, Christian organizations. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the, his involvement in the creation of CT Magazine. So what would you say was his role in the creation of Christianity Today? Well, he was surely the founder in the sense that uh, other people talked about the need for a magazine yeah. that would uh, take the Bible seriously and, and not just uh, let it, uh, theology drift way, way to the left. Uh, he was very concerned that um, evangelicals were viewed as not scholarly, that they did not have a source of really thoughtful information. Christian Century, which back then was pretty liberal. Yeah. Christian Century was seen as uh, leading in a certain direction, and he felt uh, a more uh, biblical approach was needed. Uh-huh. Uh, and credibility. In the very first issue, he not only had made sure that uh, the editor was a scholar, a PhD, but that a long list of scholars um, was on that masthead, yeah. uh, scholars from around the world, so that it had intellectual credibility. What do you think he he meant by wanting something with a more biblical direction? If you take the Bible seriously as the Word of God, you yeah. have one worldview. Uh, if you uh, view um, religion in a very different way, uh, yeah. as many forces were and and are now. I mean, since Christianity Today was formed, uh, our nation has really become secularist. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it is 
all religion, in a sense, is just all acceptable, and, and, and therefore all of them are only under the microscope. And so we become a secularist uh, country. Uh, yeah. Back then it was moving in that direction, and I think he sensed that. Yeah. And as he went out, he, he was talking to pastors, and he said, pastors don't have a lodestar. Pastors don't have uh, a point of credibility for mm. their faith. Mm. And he wanted to uh, bring that about. And so, you know, he uh, basically listened to a lot of people before he ever acted. Uh, he had this concept, and other people were talking about this sort of thing, but then he started to really take action. Mm -hmm. And uh, with his father-in-law, uh, L. Nelson Bell, who was a medical doctor, but yeah. also a very savvy guy. Uh, when I interviewed uh, people for this book, they all talked about L. Nelson Bell as being an outstanding individual. So uh, Billy and L. Nelson Bell went to the Pew Charitable Trusts and raised the money uh, and from other sources and, mm -hmm. and took the point and led and made it happen. Yeah. What's interesting to me about Christianity Today's creation is that when you read about Graham's sort of dreaming it up. Yeah, it, it wasn't something that's a given that it should exist at yes. that time. And I think now, like some sometimes, and I, certainly there was a period where CT was a given. At least for me, like growing up, I like read mm -hmm. it. I assumed to be around forever. I get here and I realize that's not necessarily the case. But it's interesting to me because Graham was a person who said who saw that need, mm -hmm. and he just like made it happen. He made it happen, and, you know, they originally sent it out to over 200,000 pastors, yeah. uh, just put it in the mail, and so it immediately had a powerful impact. They got it listed in the Reader's Guide to Periodical Literature, so it became kind of an official magazine in this mm -hmm. country, mm -hmm. um, and it had a tremendous, tremendous impact. Uh, people in seminaries, people in colleges, they the, the stacks were there. People yeah. picked it up, and they started reading it, and it was a, it w it was a fresh – uh, approach, but a very clear, uh, um, thoroughly believing kind of approach. Right. What do you think, what is your sense of what his ultimate hopes were for what CT would be, um, not just then, but like in the future of evangelicalism? Well, many things probably. Um, I think he wanted it to have scholarly credibility, um, and, and of course, that was one of the difficulties because yeah. um, it's not a scholarly magazine, right. but scholars were the ones that were supposed to write it. Uh, it's amusing to me that um, Billy, in evaluating the first issue in his letter to Carl Henry, mm -hmm. talks about his own article, Billy's own article, as being purple pro – somebody had called it purple prose or whatever. Yeah. I mean he was you know, self-effacing in this. Yes. But he's, he's realizing you know, how do you reach Joe Pastor, the, most of the people that are reading this, mm -hmm. um, who and, – and pastors don't necessarily read – all that much beyond because they're so busy, right? And so uh, they're not scholars. And and at one point we measured, you know, how many readers of Christianity Today. This was years ago um, when we were trying to figure out how it would be a scholarly magazine or a Time magazine type of publication. Mm -hmm. uh, only two or three percent of the readers were actual academics, were actually scholars. Yeah. So we had a lot of dancing to do. And I think Billy uh, understood 
the scholarly world, though, has to impact the pastors, has to impact the thought leaders of evangelicalism. Right. And one of the, I think, tremendous uh, strengths that Billy had was his um, respect for scholars. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has a respect for scholars. In fact, these days, a lot of people dis scholarship. Mm. And Mm -hmm. scholars are sometimes doing some pretty stupid things these days. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, Well, he he talks too about like the liberalization of our, of the academies or the, of schools in general, of institutions. Right. And and they have become extremely liberal. I mean, aggressively liberal. Uh, um, But, Billy's friendship with Harold Ockengay, who was a scholar, uh-huh. uh, and his uh, real sense of camaraderie with scholars who shared uh, the broad beliefs that he had, mm-hmm. I think was one of his great strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And he brought, and it's interesting with, with those two and then Carl Henry, how he brought together these people, I'm probably forgetting some names, but he brought together these people that sort of represented. Uh, the scholarly legitimization of that viewpoint, right? Right, uh, absolutely, and and it showed that hey, uh, you know, the um, belief in the scriptures as authoritative is is not something that uh, you are a dodo to to believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I think that people have an image of or a sense of Billy Graham that is it's not scholarly, or even someone who really cares about. Mm-hmm. scholarly things. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that that would be what he's championing in this circumstance. Like There was a lot of, uh, you know, good content. And, and of course, you had Paul Tournier. Yeah. Uh, you had C.S. Lewis. Uh, mm. You know, there there were so giants of the faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, not necessarily uh, everybody reading them. Yes. Uh, I remember yeah. when I came to Wheaton in 1961, uh, all the professors were reading The Meaning of Persons by by Paul Tournier, yeah. which is a great book. So there was there was a lot of great stuff, mm-hmm. but was it getting out there to a broad cross section of people, or was it limited to the Wheaton colleges of the world? Right, and uh, that's interesting too to me because there's the big tent aspect of what he's doing, yes, which is a whole other thing, right? Like, right. you can talk about scholarly, but then the, it seems like a really clear part of Billy Graham's vision was to open the the tent as wide as possible and say this magazine is for all evangelical Christians. Well, and uh, also his openness to Catholics was hmm. tremendous way back then. I mean, yeah. uh, that was at a time when Catholics and, and evangelicals, uh, they were at cross purposes. They, they, they were uh-huh. not comfortable with each other. But Billy said, hey, um, they're they're believers. They believe in Jesus. They believe uh, in in the script. They, they we're not exactly on the same page, but right. and so the cooperation with Catholics in Boston, for instance, and and some of those early crusades and mm-hmm. continuing, uh, gave him a breadth that um, and he was always true to this is who I am. This is what I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had this sense of breadth that today, I think, uh, it, it, we just accept it. But right. he saw it early. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I don't think we accept it today. I mean, well. I don't think a lot of people do. I, it, from my perspective, there are a lot of people who, for whom I have a lot of friends for, who think I'm a little loosey-goosey <laughs> simply because I work with people 
who disagree with them about things. It's not that I disagree, um, but it's it's I, I work with people and I I edit articles that argue for things they don't agree with, and the concept of big tent evangelicalism is a little in and of itself like controversial, right? What sort of pushback did Billy Graham? Oh, get? he received tremendous pushback, uh-huh. and and uh, you know there 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 was some really really nasty uh, criticism of him as huh. as you know going way liberal and giving up on this and that and the other thing. Uh, and we would look at some of those things and uh, now and say, well, now that wasn't even relevant what they were you know confronting him about. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, he uh, and he would just lay it before the Lord and pray a lot. Um, I remember Alan Emery, who uh, was his colleague for many years, um, wonderful man. Um, he was saying the thing about Billy was when he was facing something really difficult, mm. he would pray all night about it. Mm. Um, the sense of, yes, he had respect for scholarship, uh, but he was also wrestling with God and uh, and engaged with God in a very real way. And, yeah. and I think that that has come through in his life. Did he ever... So what were some of the criticisms that... that... Oh, boy, I should have those in my mind, but uh, <laughs> fortunately they've all escaped. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's not a terrible thing to forget. Um, I, I, was, I was just wondering if he had a way of knowing. There's sort of inherently you've got to know where the Big Tent ends. Right. Well, and, and basically one of them, of course, was his involvement with Catholics and allowing yeah. them to sit on his platform. And, right. you know, th- anybody that's on your platform has to be kosher, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, there were people from various strains that were on that platform. Yeah. And those were the early days. Uh, but that's what enabled many, many people to come to his crusades and receive Christ and so forth. So, yeah. uh, but, but yeah, I, I think it was, uh, to a large degree, uh, the evangelical uh, belief system and who we are, uh, it was a silo. And mm. in one sense, now we have different silos, but boy, are people in silos, and mm-hmm. we talk about the political situation now. Yeah. You talk about people in silos who cannot hear what the other people are saying, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and he was bigger than that. It's really interesting to think about because I think about this a lot, especially as I read quotes from Billy Graham, stuff like that. Just the fact that he talked back then about the idea of the extreme liberalization Mm. of things. Um, Back then, he was really well respected by people. Right. Nowadays, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know that he could get away with it, with saying those things. Yeah. Like, I think he'd have a harder time. I wonder. I think there's much greater polarization now than there was. I yep. mean, when I joined Christianity Today, it was in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and the fellowship there, um, uh, the organization called the fellowship, would have um, Democrats and Republicans from Congress, mm-hmm. uh, from the Senate, meeting together, and there was this sense of shared belief of of, of, of caring for the country, of, of moving the country forward. Uh, at breakfast, you'd sit around a table and you'd see the sense of, hey, we're in this together. Yeah. We may disagree about the solutions. We may disagree with this or that, we're, but we're in this together. Yeah. That's been so much lost now, this, this uh, acerbic and uh, 
sense of the enemy. Uh, mm-hmm. These these people are our enemies, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, the the latest election has just exacerbated that tremendously. This episode of The Calling is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is both faithful to the original languages and really easy to read. You can learn more about the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com slash ct. I talked to Trevin Wax, the Bible and reference publisher at Lifeway, who I actually had on the podcast back in August, about how the Christian Standard Bible is a lot like Greek yogurt. What we like to say at Lifeway is that we are a ministry that is supported by a business model. Uh, when you when you think about Bible translations overall, one of the things that I'm hoping that we see with more people engaging the Bible overall, not just having the Bible out to more Christians, but more Christians that are engaging the Bible, sharing the Bible with others. An example that we've used before is, um, is an example of Greek yogurt. When Greek yogurt came on the scene, all of the yogurt market actually increased as a result. And I know that sounds crazy to be comparing the Bible to yogurt. I'm not going to do any spiritual kind of, oh, the milk of God's word and things like that. But <laughs> It's right there, say, though. You could say it's it. Right. It's so close. It's so close. The nerd in me just wants to do it. But all that to say, the, the, the idea and the goal with Bible publishing and the fact that we publish multiple translations is we just we want to see more and more people overall encountering God in His Word. This episode of The Calling was brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Go to csbible.com ct to find the right Christian Standard Bible edition for you. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So this is kind of related, but when he was first talking about CT and the tone it should take. Yes. Just in general, people should seek out. I'm sure we've got it published somewhere. I know we do. We ran it in the magazine recently. You should look at look at what his editorial on like what CT is supposed to be. Why Christianity Today, I think is what it's called. It's just amazing how prescient it is, yes, right? It is absolutely incredibly like prescient for it's not just like oh he really read the times Mm -hmm. he really saw it was coming it's just like it holds up in a way it never it never feels like oh that's that's naive or that's right nice right right. for the 50s (laughs) it really felt like it really feels like something that was created for probably 2075 it Mm. will still be relevant even after we're all like in virtual reality (laughs) bubbles or whatever But he uses the phrase, um, which I, I find really striking, which is that our tone should be positive, not divisive, and that we should lead in love. Um, why do you think at that point, when you, you yourself describes like 
it was pretty okay compared to where we are now. Why did at that point he feel the need to say that? Well, you know, we're all tribal. It's always mm-hmm. been tribal in the history of the human race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was certainly tribalism back then in terms of, of divisiveness of, uh, of different groups coming from different directions. I love what you read about uh, being positive, not divisive, leading in love. I mean, to me, that captures Billy Graham. Uh, he was positive about, you know, we're going to make a difference and we're going to bring, you know, uh, and, and not to be divisive. When you watch his interviews um, over the years on uh, TV and radio and so forth, you see that he stands very clear as to what he's standing for. But he's not attacking anybody. He's not putting anybody down. He's positive about what can be done and genuine love. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the reasons why um, the media has treated him so positively is because they may have really disliked where he stood, mm-hmm. but they could always tell that Billy Graham actually loved him. I think he understood himself, his own limitations and so forth. Mm. Um, uh, he understood that, yeah, he was humble, but you have to have some ego mm-hmm. to do all that he did. And so, you know, he struggled with, uh, you know, I, and, and put himself before God yeah. and prayed. I think that understanding your own limitations thing is so important because we are, we're in a time now where we're seeing so many people who retrospectively do not understand their own limitations. Yes. And there's a lot of people now, I mean, that are trying to, to play the role that Billy Graham has played. And it, and it, and it can be really tough to stand back and go, wait, I don't know. And now it's even controversial. We've seen this recently. There was a big flare up in the past about um, you know people who follow the Billy Graham rule, quote unquote, and this idea of instituting your own personal integrity, right? Like, is in and of itself controversial. So it becomes very hard in yes. a, in a, in and of above and beyond. Getting yourself to do it, you have to then defend yourself yeah, right. for doing it. <laughs> right. um, I think, like it's, it's, it feels to me like that's the thing that maybe protected his own character, integrity, and and legacy in general was that that he was willing to say, like, I'm not going to be able to do everything. I'm not going to be able to right. protect myself all the time in every case. So we need some guardrails here. Right. And he was coming off uh, experiences from evangelists, the Elmer Gantry kind of situation mm-hmm. where, you know, evangelists did take the money and did it. So uh, he was very sensitive to that. And so were his colleagues. Uh, so uh, they were reacting to something, but reacting in a very positive way. Hey, yeah. we're going to take charge here of our own lives and not fall into those traps. Yeah. And I think another thing about Billy um, that just kind of blew me away when I um, – approached him about um, writing this book, uh, I had read Jim Collins' description mm-hmm. of a level five leader, yeah. uh, the characteristics of a level five leader. And basically, Jim Collins was kind of blown away that these best leaders, when you'd ask them about their own role, they'd say, oh, it's not me. No, it's um, it's the team. It's all of us, mm-hmm. you know, together. I'm, I'm just part of this whole thing. And when I approached Billy about this book, that's exactly the response he gave me. Yeah. Oh, no, it was just a bunch of us and, and the Lord just kind of, you know, I mean, 
Now, he knew he had that responsibility to be mm-hmm. on the point, mm-hmm. and he took it, and, and he was CEO, and he hovered over that. Right. At, um, so he was a level five leader. There's no question about it. How, did, how do you think he balanced that? What's the balance there? I don't even know what the balance is. Well, I think, uh, as mentioned, he, he did have this great ability to uh, see the best in people and to recognize, to identify um, th- those leaders who could be with him. I mean, when you who else uh, had a team uh, of Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea and and all these people so close to him and, yeah. and with him for fifty and more years? Yeah. I mean, so sure he was decisive, but he would always be talking to other people who were close to him to give him advice. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And there were certain things, frankly, that he wasn't going to do. I think it's interesting that um, they couldn't get him to raise money uh, specifically face-to-face. Interesting. He, he had to raise money, yeah. um, but um, he would do it uh, not necessarily because he didn't want to come off like the the guy who's buttonholing uh, the, the rich people. Um but he did write his own fundraising letters. In fact, mm. I found it so fascinating. I was talking to him on the phone one day, mm. and he said to me, and this kind of just blew me away. He says, "Well, I think my greatest contribution has be, has been in writing the letters over the years." Huh. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> of all the things, <laughs> most people just say, "Hey, you guys who write these letters, yeah. you know, yeah. you you do it." I mean, yeah. I, I maybe he's the only guy who actually wrote all his own letters. I don't know. Huh. But here he's saying and, – and of course he was right. Not that it was necessarily his greatest uh, contribution but it was a very large contribution right. because he put his heart and soul into that and he really believed it. Yeah. And he shared and, and that raised a lot of money which made possible Lausanne and the mm. radio and all these other things. Yeah. What would you say was Billy's – greatest struggle if you had to guess what we what do you think was his biggest struggle well his original greatest struggle was can i really believe all this mm. and uh, you know the stories where uh, you know his good buddy uh, basically went uh, quite liberal and, and and lost the faith and um, and he struggled and struggled and wrestled with God and, uh, you know, finally came to a conviction uh, uh, that the Bible uh, was um, the word of God and and Jesus really was divine and so mm-hmm. forth. So uh, what were his struggles along the way? Um, you know, there were a lot of currents that he had to fight against. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this always this sense of... Um, Where's the money going to come from? Oh, yeah. uh, being overextend or, you know, how, how can we, you know, draw on this? Uh, the criticism that came from many different directions. Um, and then you've got this huge world with all the needs of it. Yeah. And uh, how do you reach out effectively? And, yeah. and then I think disappointments in people that failed. There were people that, you know, really and, – and that had to be tough for him. If you had to say it most succinctly – what was the part of his calling that most aligned with what Christianity Today was about? Well, I think Billy was always thoughtful. He uh, every morning would get all the newspapers in his hotel room and huh. he would go through them all. Um, I think uh, Christianity Today um, wants to take a thoughtful, um, ironic 
that's kind of a word that we have laughed about because that was one of the original words that mm-hmm. CT should be irenic, mm-hmm. um, which uh, you know is is not divisive. Yeah. And um, so I think he certainly was irenic. He personified in many ways um, the best of CT. And is CT a scholarly publication? Is it a Time magazine type publication? Is it an Atlantic? Is it a Harper's? We still don't really have a perfect answer to all <laughs> right, that because right. we have this multiple audience. Yeah. Um, and yeah. in a sense, Billy speaks to all those groups as well. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing that I've learned as I've been here. It's really nice to be able to say, we're like this, but for Christians— you can't do that because yeah. of the for Christians thing, because all of a sudden when you're for pastors, you're for like lay leaders, you're for small group leaders, you're for this whole wide group of people. And they all have different deeply held spiritual beliefs That's outside right. of the gospel um, or in addition to the gospel. Like that suddenly means like you're having to do something extremely different than what Time magazine or right. The right. Atlantic is doing right. um, just inherently. Well, and uh, we recognized the multiple audience streams uh, early on, and so we started Leadership Journal for Pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, Books and Culture um, for the Scholars, and Billy was always very supportive of all that. Yeah. Uh, he was just right in there with us. The media thing, I'm just thinking about the media things you brought up, how his interaction with the media. And I remember growing up, like, watching him on uh, Larry King Live. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and you got a sense like they liked each other. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. And like my mom would always like watch him. Anytime he was on Larry <laughs> King Live, my mom was like a nice Southern Baptist lady. She right. still is. <laughs> <laughs> my mom is a Southern Baptist, nice Southern yeah. Baptist lady. I remember uh, just watching and I think just thinking about it now as I'm, as I'm processing verbally in front of everyone, <laughs> like I feel like uh, that impacted my view of Christians and how we can be involved in the world because mm-hmm. there is um, a skepticism. There's a mutual skepticism right, right. now, and, right. and and really always has been like a mutual skepticism between the media and sort of conservative Christians. And my feeling has always been there's always been an element of like, why don't we just try? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't mm-hmm. we just try in good faith to talk to each other? So I think like like Billy Graham was really. In that case, the word isn't prescient. It's like he just understood that there is a certain amount of human nature that is not totally terrible. Mm-hmm. In terms, like, right, like people right, do right. respect one another if you sort of take the first step in that direction. Um, yep. It can yep. be done. I, obviously, there are exceptions. Probably a lot of exceptions. Mm-hmm. We'll get burned every now and then. Right. Right. But uh, yeah, that's just interesting to me. I, I, I agree, and, and the more we can do to interact with the media, I mean, obviously, they're hypercritical of so much, mm-hmm. um, but I think CT has done some very good things in terms of, of reaching out. And uh, back to Billy Graham, uh, after 9-11, uh, when he addressed, in a sense, the nation but the world mm-hmm. at the National Cathedral – I thought mm. his presentation there kind of said it all about Billy Graham. Mm. I mean, if anybody wants to just go and revisit um, Billy Graham, what he stands for, to see him standing there after 9-11 at the National Cathedral yeah. and bringing a message of hope that, that had the integrity of where he stood, um, I just thought he just 
did that so wonderfully. And that kind of is, has been typical of his whole career. I've become an old man now, and I've preached all over the world. And the older I get, the more I cling to that hope that I started with many years ago and, began, and proclaimed it in many languages to many parts of the world. Several years ago, at the National Prayer Breakfast here in Washington, Ambassador Andrew Young, who had just gone through the tragic death of his wife, closed his talk with a quote from the old hymn, How Firm a Foundation. We all watched in horror as planes crashed into the, the steel and glass of the World Trade Center. Those majestic towers built on solid foundations were examples of the prosperity and creativity of America. When damaged, those buildings eventually plummeted to the ground, imploding it upon themselves. Yet underneath the debris is a foundation that was not destroyed. Therein lies the truth of that old hymn that Andrew Young quoted, how firm a foundation. Yes, our nation has been attacked, buildings destroyed, lives lost. But now we have a choice, whether to implode and disintegrate emotionally and spiritually as a people and a nation, or whether we choose to become stronger through all of this struggle to rebuild on a solid foundation. He had a heart for the globe as well, right? Well, and he was, you know, in so many countries. I mean, the statistics are amazing uh -huh. how many millions and millions that he spoke to. And, uh, and the fact that he was, you know, going over to Russia very early on, to China, to – I mean, he was a pioneer mm -hmm. in going into communist areas. And, and so he had, he had a vision. And one of the reasons, I think, is that he was very well connected with Christian leaders around the world. He yeah. knew what they were thinking, what they were doing. And again – he would connect with the best of the Christian leaders, the yeah. ones who were thoughtful, the ones who, uh, you know, were ironic and but were positive and uh, effective. Right. Okay. So, last question. This is just like a personal question for you, because uh, I want to know what you think is Billy Graham's greatest legacy. Billy Graham apparently would say the letters he wrote. <laughs> I'm going to say Christianity today because right. I'm biased. Right. What do you think? What do you think is Billy Graham's greatest legacy? Well, I I think it has to be viewed as a whole. Yeah, you'd have to take a sentence and put Christianity Today in it, and you'd uh -huh. have to put in Decision Magazine, which was you know um, just a wonderful public when I was. Um, uh, much younger and uh, was connecting with Sherwood Wirt, who was editing it. I mean, uh, they were doing articles on Dostoevsky. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, his communication to the whole world, uh, the millions of people who heard his message, and I don't know how many that came forward and, and committed, um, the leadership things that he has uh, fostered, and I would say also um, the inspiration he's given to Christian institutions, whether it be seminaries, colleges, mission organizations. Um, he, he was uh, very involved with that. 
You've been listening to The Calling. Harold Myra was the president of Christianity Today and has written a book called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham with Marshall Shelley. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. The Calling is produced by me and Morgan Lee. It's edited by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode of The Calling was brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Go to csbible.com slash ct to find the right Christian Standard Bible edition for you. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app for videos and more visit dts.edu slash podcast.